If you are visiting with us this morning and you saw the start time was at 10 o'clock, you might have assumed that with traditional church services and where you visit that you would be out by 11. Surprise. Um, I wasn't going to say sorry, um, but our, our Sunday morning worship is a little longer, uh, I, I suppose, than it's ever been. And uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the opportunity to spend more time in worship with my church family, to be led in more prayers and to sing a few more songs than maybe we would traditionally do. And so, um, again, we appreciate you being here. One one clarification, uh, I I found out after making the announcements that uh, the Castillos are here this morning. Judah is here. And so that's great and uh, good to know that uh, everyone is well enough to be out and to be with us. This morning, have you ever watched a movie and you you just knew what the end of that movie was going to be? You didn't know how they were going to get there and you didn't know all the twists and turns along the way, but you knew who did it. Or how it would how it wind up if if so and so would would be with so and so at the end, you, you just knew because the plot was too simple, right? The, the, the story was too obvious. I don't know if it was a if that's a. A a directive against those who produce it or those who wrote it or if it's just the good storytelling to to lead you to the end to know the end of the story but we've all been there right we know the end of the story maybe it's been someone is going to come tell you something and and you you just know based on your relationship with them based on the past history that you've had the world information that you that you've learned before when they say hey I've got something to tell you you already know what they're going to say before they say it I think we've probably all been in those types of situations. And so when we announced at the beginning or the the second week of of January that we were going to do a a series of lessons on four friends that we all need, did you know where it was going to end up? Were you sure that you knew what would either be the first lesson or the last lesson in this series? And when it wasn't the first lesson, you knew who that fourth friend was going to be. I mean, we, we worked through the story of Nathan and some of the accounts of Barnabas. We even looked at the relationship between Paul and Timothy. But all along the way, we knew eventually what was coming, right? Our, our first and foremost and greatest friend that we would ever want to have would be Jesus. In fact, if you think about it, he embodies all of the other lessons that we've already considered. Is, is there one who's ever stood with more courage in the face of sinful man and said, you need to repent, than Jesus Christ? When we do that, and, and maybe when Nathan did that, uh, his life might have been on the line, but ours isn't. When we stand and tell someone, you need to repent, you need to make yourselves right, you need to turn to Jesus, we don't fear for our lives, we don't even feel for jail time, maybe rejection, maybe be scoffed and laughed at, but nothing more. When Jesus stood in his day, he knew every action, every conversation, every interaction was moving him closer and closer to the cross. And yet he stood as one who rebuked, like Nathan did. If you think of the greatest encouragers to ever live, doesn't Jesus top that list? A man who, who sought out the, the marginalized, the, the, the outcast, the separated, the isolated, the Gentile, the leper, the women, and, and he brought them in and, and he loved them and, and he cared for them and he befriended them and lifted up their spirits. 
I think that he would stand as the supreme example of Barnabas. What about the relationship of Paul and Timothy? Paul, a mentor who, who saw some good in, in a young man that, that maybe others wouldn't have seen and, and nurtured him and entrusted him and loved him and built him up and, and then left him to do his work. Does that not describe Jesus in our lives? Saw something in us that maybe no one else could have seen or would have seen? Empowered us and entrusted us and left us to do his work? You see... In all that we've considered so far, Jesus has really always been that friend. Paul would say, follow me as a follow Christ. No doubt Nathan would have been an example of Jesus and Barnabas, one who lived in his steps. And so it really could suffice this morning to just say, we've already covered this. We've already looked at Jesus as our our, our greatest friend in all the other examples that we've considered so far. But I'm convinced, friends, that's not enough. To fully or even somewhat exhaust the discussion of what a great friend he is to us. And so, so we'll start here. Think about the, the various occasions in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the word friendship is used particularly in relationship to or by Jesus himself. The word's found about 40 times in, in those four books. It's not a, as common of a theme, maybe, as we might would assume. Now, the principles of friendship, no doubt, are. And the catalyst for friendship is there, but the word itself, in either singular or plural form, is only found that four, uh, some 40 times in, in all of the gospel accounts. Sometimes when it's used, that word, in connection with Jesus, it's used actually in a derogatory way to defame him. Twice in the Gospels, once in Luke 7 and once in Matthew chapter 11, it said that Jesus ate with sinners. Those were what people said about him. In fact, those two verses and the stories that they surround were almost the text for our sermon this morning because in our sin, he was and is our greatest friend. But that wasn't Jesus saying that about himself. That wasn't even the narrator saying it as a truth about Jesus. That was an accusation made by those who were ready for any reason and any cause to discredit and discard what he had to say. But that's, those are some of the instances where that is used. The majority of time that that word is used in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it's used by Jesus in the, in the form of parables. And it really doesn't have a lot of theological significance when it's used. You remember the, the, the parable of the, the friend at midnight in Luke chapter 11? Or the, the parables in, in, of the landowner in Matthew 20, or the wedding feast in Matthew 22, or the, the, the guest in Luke 14, or the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son in Luke 15. In all of those parables, somebody is referred to as a friend, but there's really nothing significant that we can learn about Jesus being our friend because they're just simply a, a way of speaking in other Other terminology, we might say friend or or man or woman. Just a way of calling someone and designating them and separating them out from others. Jesus used it on one occasion to reveal the hypocrisy, didn't he, of Judas? They came to find him in the garden in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50. Jesus said to him, friend, what have you come for? No doubt those words and that word should should have stung in the heart of Judas. Jesus taught us in another text, in John chapter 15, about 
the nature of our friendship with Him and the responsibilities that friendship requires. Jesus said, no, no, no greater love has any man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And then He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That, that was a second text that was a strong option for what we would be talking about this morning. Friends, I really didn't want the last lesson in this series to simply be, okay, now we're friends with Jesus, so obey Him. I hope that is the outcome of everything that we've discussed. In fact, I hope it's the outcome of every sermon that's preached in Bible class that we have and a song that we sing that we're motivated to be obedient. But we're not talking in this series of lessons necessarily about what our responsibility is per se in each relationship, but how valuable those friends are to us. In some ways, this series of sermons is, is pretty self-centered in that fashion. But I believe the Bible expects us to look for that and to long for that. Do you know people who spend so much time doing for others, they have a hard time letting people do for them? They spend so much time sacrificing and giving and reaching out that they sit destitute and alone and maybe even hungry because they haven't allowed someone in to help. Listen, this, these lessons are find these people and put them in our lives because we desperately need the encouragement. And so it is with Jesus that we need his friendship. And so the text this morning is John chapter 11, if you want to open there. John chapter 11, and we'll talk some about this text just briefly. Consider some, some applications from it. You see, it was difficult to decide between those three primary texts or a combination of them or some other thought, partly because, partly because... Jesus is a friend of sinners, and we need to remember that. It's difficult to center in on partly because I need to obey him because I'm his friend. And partly because the entirety of who we are as Christians are summed up in this idea that Jesus is the greatest friend we can have. But what I like most about John 11 in this story, in this context, is it shows the personal nature and the intimate nature that friendship. Now, several probably decades ago, the denominational world focused, particularly at certain aspects or certain, certain, certain streams of, of, of that world, focused on pushing and, 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 and preaching about and longing for a personal relationship with Jesus. And sort of as a, as a defense against the denominational concepts of things, some of the church kind of fought back at that and suggested that Christ is the Savior of all. He's the Savior of all men. He's the Savior of all the church and almost downplaying the personal, intimate relationship that we are to have. John chapter 11 completely destroys that concept. Whatever Jesus did when he was on the earth and interacted with mankind and befriended them and helped them and prayed for them and cried for them, that's how he feels about all humanity. If Jesus were walking the earth today, he would find friends like he found in John chapter 11. He would dine at their tables and he would sit in their homes and he would cry over their graves. That's exactly what Jesus would do because Jesus is that type of friend. Now, John chapter 11 is interesting because the part of it we want to consider and focus on is actually most of the time considered to be just introductory material. I mean, the, the pinnacle of the book of John, outside of Thomas's confession at the end of the book, 
is the resurrection of Lazarus later on in John 11, right? Seven miracles that Jesus worked, the seventh of those being the, 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 the raising of Lazarus from the dead, proving once and for all, as John said he would do, that Jesus was the Son of God. These things are written that you might believe. It, it's, the, it's the linchpin, the, the turning point. In fact, that once that miracle has occurred... Man has a choice to make in chapter 12 whether or not he's going to follow Jesus. And then that intimate relationship begins in chapter 13 to the end of the book with his disciples. And so those first few verses of John 11 are really just getting us to the pinnacle. And yet even in what some might consider to be filler information, secondary comments about the, the great event that's coming later, we find an amazing description of the friendship of Jesus. Let's let's read together, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary Martha, Mary and his sister Martha. And it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So they sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after this, he said to his disciples, let's go again to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are not there twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the, in the night, he stumbles because the light is not of him. Then Jesus said, And after that he said to them, that This Jesus said, And after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Do you realize that Jesus could have said any number of other things in describing Lazarus other than that? But he called him as casually and as intimately and as significantly as he did. He's our friend. I've always marveled at James' description of Abraham, haven't you? In, in a great text about faith and works and doing what God said, the Bible says, and Abraham was called the friend of God. He took all the, the great obedience and, and the great commands and the great tragedy of, uh, of Abraham's life, of how it played out, and he boiled it all down to this one thing, and that is Abraham was God's friend. And of the significance of the resurrection, the power of Jesus approving his deity. And, and John was writing to, to, to counter this idea that Jesus wasn't both human and, and divine and to fix all these theological problems in the world. And John says of Jesus, he was Lazarus' friend. Which I would say that in the midst of a world of turmoil and difficulty and uncertainty, of religious division and confusion, of infighting, of doctrines that don't match up to Scripture and, and are discussing them and teaching about them. We're talking about Second Peter and our, and our, Monday, our Sunday afternoon Bible class. And all of that, never forget that among everything else Jesus is for us, He is like He was to Lazarus, our friend. Now what do we learn about that friendship very, very quickly in this text? Number one, 
We learn that His love for us, or His love for me, if we want to be individual about this, is noticeable to others around. Just listen again and think about, or think about again as we read the flow of that context and how naturally it was that word was sent to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. You see, people knew of that relationship, didn't they? If what we believe, as we piece together the final week of the life of Jesus, Jesus seemed to have spent the nights in Bethany, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We get up in the day and go into Jerusalem. And those great debates and the cleansing of the temple and all the parables that he told, the destruction of Jerusalem, and all of that stuff happens against the backdrop of at night. Once Jesus has done all of that, he goes back to their home and he reclines with them. He socializes with them. He gets up the next morning, as we might would think, and has breakfast, or as we might would do to drink coffee, the, the, the closeness of that relationship. And people knew that about him. In fact, before we're ever told in the text that Lazarus was their friend, what else are we told in verse 5? Jesus loved them. He loved them. Do you know that, that five times in the Gospel of John, John highlights the love that Jesus has for him as the writer? either collectively or individually. Those passages are John 13 and verse 23, John 19, 26, John 20 and verse 20, or John 20 and verse 2, John 21, 7 and 21, 20. You know what John doesn't do in the book? Is declare or, or, or proclaim or constantly remind his readers of how much he loved Jesus. But how much Jesus loved him. I'm not suggesting that it would be wrong for us to proclaim our love for Jesus. I think the world needs to know that we love Him, that we care about Him, that that we're close to Him. But you know what matters more than that? Not not that the world knows that I love Jesus, but the world knows that Jesus loves me. Because if He loves me, He can love them. And so there's this this understanding that, that the world knew, readers know. When you and I hear the names Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, we think the close friends of Jesus... Now, we may think the same thing when we hear the names Peter, James, and John. But they were apostles, right? Here were three, if you will, ordinary, average people from Bethany. And they were Jesus' friends. And it was noticeable. Did you know that if we allow it to shine through in our lives, the world will know that Jesus loves us? They'll know that. Maybe, that, maybe that's the application of the, the John 15 passages. His great love was shown in sacrifice, and he says, if I love him, I'll keep his commandments. But in that, it won't be my displaying my love for Jesus as much as it will be the fact that he loved me first. We see the nature of that, that friendship here in this passage. Number two, we learn that Jesus wants to hear about our struggles. There were times in the ministry of Jesus, weren't there, when the disciples were concerned that the news that was being brought to Jesus was a little too much for him and they needed to back off. Remember the times they would bring the little children and the disciples would forbid them because he has time, he needs time for something else. You notice that no one stepped in the way of the messenger in this chapter. No disciple said, hey, wait a minute, we're doing something greater than that. This is more important. The sickness of a man in Bethany isn't significant to this This man, no, they knew that Jesus wanted to hear 
about the struggles of Lazarus. And I would suggest to you this morning, he wants to hear about yours and about mine. Have you ever, you ever thought, maybe even been embarrassed by the prayers that you've prayed because they seemed petty and they seemed selfish? Maybe even to the point where you would say, I'm, I'm just not sure the Lord cares about that. Friends, if you've ever felt that way, I want you this morning to know that you shouldn't. Peter says it just as plainly as he can, that we cast all our cares on him. Peter didn't say all our spiritual, our spiritual cares. He didn't say all our secular cares. He didn't say all our, our family cares. He just said all of them. Now, I may look back at the end of it all and think, I shouldn't have been as worried about that as I was. But I'm not sure there's ever a person that gets to the other side of, of an intense, fervent prayer life and says, you know, probably shouldn't have prayed that. The Lord probably didn't want to hear that. No, it's only in the moment where we feel like maybe that we're not enough. You know what will change that? That feeling of maybe he doesn't care, maybe he doesn't want to hear? Appreciating his friendship more. Seeing a text like this, here's a sick man. There were a lot of sick men in the world, weren't there? But this man is important to Jesus. And so it doesn't really strike us as odd. You know what he cares about it when you're sick? And he wants to hear about it? When you're lonely or struggling or isolated or hurting. When you long to be with your church family, but circumstances won't allow it to do so. He understands that. And he wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to him. Hear about those things. Certainly, this text indicates to us that Jesus wants to know our struggles. Number three. He's deliberate in being my friend. I want you to think about your best friend in the world. Your best friend in the world. Did you set out to be friends with them? Or did it just happen? Did it just sort of circumstance and life changes and a chance meeting and all of a sudden you have a new best friend? I would dare say for many of us that's exactly how those things happen. But I want you to think about those people that, that you know in your life that have determined that they're going to be your friend. And they fought through maybe some resistance on your part. S- some awkwardness or, or maybe a, a lack of, 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 of having things in common. But you could tell they really wanted to make a friendship work. And they were deliberate. They were intentional. Yeah, I think both types of friends are needed, aren't they? Our life depends on them. But I would give a lot more credit to that second scenario than that first one. It's easy to be friends with people who like the same things that we like. Who think the same way that we think. Who eat the same restaurants that we eat at and watch the same television shows that we watch and are interested in doing the same things we're interested in. It's that person that, that I have to have to do some things I don't necessarily want to do and listen to some stories I don't necessarily want to listen to and, 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 and attend some functions that I wouldn't necessarily be a part of because it means investing in that friendship. Friends, that's Jesus. We talk about the fact that he lived like us, that, that, that he experienced the things of this life. But listen, there was a time, there was a time, friends, he had very little in common with us. 
being equal with God, the right hand of God, creator of heaven and earth. He gave that up so he could invest in a friendship. So you and I would have some things in common with him so we could say that we have a Savior who was tempted at all points like as we are yet without sin. That he got hungry and sad and tired and lonely and discouraged. That he also depended on prayer and fellowship. Why? So that he could identify with us and be our friend. Now, his intentionality in chapter 11 is practical. Right? He, he waits. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But, but, he, but he has a, a purpose and an intention behind that. He's going to take care of his friend. Just plans to do so in his own time. And so then, connected with that number four, friendship of Jesus cannot be hurt by time. Did we lose one? Did I go ahead too far? We started over, I think. Well, let's just start over. Where were we? Okay. Um, time cannot hurt our friendship with Jesus. Two days he waited. Now we know why he waited, right? He waited because Lazarus needed to die, so when he went back, he could raise him from the dead and give that crowning pinnacle miracle of the book, reveal himself to be truly the Son of God. But timing sometimes for us is the key to friendship when it ought not be with Jesus. See, I need from Him what I need from Him now. If He doesn't give it to me, if He doesn't grant it to me, if He doesn't allow me to have it, if He doesn't fix it for me, then He must not care. And there are people in this world today who should be in pews just like these, who are sitting at home, who aren't tuning into anything, who aren't invested in Christianity because the Lord let them down. Friends, our friendship with Jesus isn't dependent upon time. It isn't hurt by it. His, his, his failure in our estimation to move and to do and to be and to answer, to return the, the, the friendship, to, to, to handle the issue, does not in any way represent a lack of friendliness on his part. In fact, in, in Lazarus' day, what was it? It was so something even greater could happen. When he gets back, they meet him on the road and they basically tell him, listen, you're the reason he died. We don't read it that way, but that's what they said. If you had been here, he wouldn't have passed away. But your delaying caused his death. Can you hear in that perhaps maybe, are we really your friends? Do you really care? And then Jesus did in their lives something they had probably never seen. Maybe they'd heard of it. They'd never seen. And he brought Lazarus back from the dead. Friends, I don't know what your relationship and friendship with the Lord is like today, but if it's strained because your life is difficult, I can promise you there is something better than what's going on in your life right now. In fact, even if your life is great, there's still something better than what's going on right now. There's a friend who has planned and who has purposed and who has intentioned and time won't stop that. In fact, the more time that passes, the closer we are to the fulfillment of those things. The closer we are to, 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 the, to, the, to the, the receiving of that, that great and wonderful promise. But it is. As much as we would, we would not make this the focus of our thoughts, it is dependent upon our return friendship to Him. 
We haven't sang the song in, that I remember in this series of lessons, I'll be a friend of Jesus. But I would ask you this morning, are you? Because here's, here's, the, here's the, 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 the end of it all. I know the friend he is to me. I know that. I know that from John 11. I know that from John 15. I know that from, from Luke 7. I'm assured. You're assured. I know his, the friendship that he is to you. He has with you. I, I know that he died for you. I know that he loves you. I know that he wants to hear about your, your struggles. I, I know that he's intentional in that relationship and that, that time can't break it. I know all of that. What I don't know is whether or not our faith is strong enough to maintain that friendship. Are we going to return that favor to him? See, I can do a lot of things religiously. I can attend a lot of Bible classes and worship services and do a lot of good benevolent acts, and I can do it all for personal glory or to be seen of men. And not a single thing in that, in that list has anything to do with a friendship with Jesus. Or, I can seek a greater purpose and cause in my relationship with Him. I can seek to glorify Him. Isn't that why He delayed and waited? And I would say that in every decision we make in our relationship with Him, that's the same reason that we would do anything we do. That we might glorify him, that he, that the world might know that he's the greatest friend. You, you, you could change the series title. Not four friends we all need. Just one. And in that friend, all the difference will be made. He is your friend this morning. Are you his? If not, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.